The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Dudes of Kung Fu. This week, Alex and I touch upon the topic of tribalism in the martial arts and uh, the benefits and downfalls of it. It was a fun episode. It's so nice to be back. And uh, it's good chatting with Alex again all the time. So uh, sit back and have a good time, folks. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody and welcome to our show, man. We just had this awesome freaking conversation with uh, one of our Patreon supporters. How cool was he, Alex? Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, as uh, some people know, if you are regularly supporting the podcast, that's one of the great services we have. At, I think at the $50 a month level, you get to have a monthly uh, private podcast with us and uh, you can chat us up and listen to our uncensored stories behind the uh you know af- it's kind of like dudes of kung fu after dark right <laughs> it's the truth this this guy this dude's name this dude's name is john turnbull teaches wing chun in uh cleveland ohio fucking awesome dude like i really like him a lot he was really cool yeah that was really a lot of fun and uh, he's from the yeah, he fit in with us well. yes yes he did he did hey, you, i mean you never know because you know these are supporters of the podcast so we assume that they have like a similar sense of humor to us, but you never know because, you know, we tend to be a little bit irreverent on the podcast, but when we are off the podcast, it tends to be like, you know, all bets are off, the gloves are off, so you never know, um, especially if you've never met somebody before, like, is that, are we going to be going too far or whatever, especially Sean with some of his... um, some of his stories. What do you mean especially Sean? Well, because you tend to tell some inappropriate stuff that you would otherwise want to maybe keep a filter on Dude, and mix company. you just company. told me a story about not sticking a stick up someone's head. <laughs> no, I no, mean, no. You know? It was stick removal out of the ass. That's completely different, Sean. Completely different. 
maybe you know your neighborhood. neighborhood. (laughs) You can't have one without the other. (laughs) Haters going to hate, man. So how you been, man? I think a lot of people were a little bit worried because uh, we were a little bit off for a little bit. So I just wanted to maybe just say something real quick uh, about why we weren't around for a bit. So this was all my fault. I apologize, folks. I had a, uh, a, a little health issue going on. But uh, I am 100% perfectly fine. I just uh, dealing with a small problem, and um, it was a little bit painful, and it kept me away from uh, the podcast for a little bit longer than I thought it was going to. But um, we're back now. I'm back. It's all good. I'm healthy. I'm on the road to recovery, and it's all good. Um, but I, I do apologize for us missing the podcast for uh, for an extended period of time. We uh, we did. I really appreciated all the uh, messages that we received from people, asking like begging us not to be done, you know. Yes. And um, but we are not done. We are the furthest place from done. We uh, Alex is stuck with me until until he finds somebody better. So <laughs> it's. <laughs> and trust me, I'm looking on a nearly daily basis. <laughs> Please, I can't wait. Me and Jim Roslando want to slaughter our own podcast. <laughs> oh, that'd be really great. Some kind of phony, like, uh, knockoff of the dudes of kung fu, right? <clears throat> it, right it would exactly, be it would be right. dudes of gung fu with a G or something like that, right? <laughs> it would have to be different yet close enough to be like a legit knockoff, right? Oh man, so. I know people don't like hearing us talk about the MMA too much, but we, we got to talk a little bit about what the fuck Conor did. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. So this is, um, yeah. But I mean, by the time the podcast hits, it's it's already going to be about kind of two week old news. But um, yeah, uh, like just a, I mean, just you, you know, know. Con- I mean, Conor's like I mean, it reminds me of like remember before like the Nick this I think the second Nick Diaz fight where he threw the. He threw the water bottle and then he got fined for that and stuff. And like, right. there, there seems to be within a certain limit, like there's an, a, a, like, like antics that are done for kind of like, you know, selling and promoting. And it's, you know, when you get dudes who are going to fight locked in the same room, it's normal that people say stuff and things like this. But as much as I'm a Conor McGregor fan, I, I was kind of like, oh man, like this was a little bit too much in my opinion. And this isn't a good sign. You know what I mean? This right. seems like when, 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 twenty years from now, when you're watching the documentary on Conor McGregor, this is like it's all sunshine and rainbows in the documentary until it gets to this chapter, and then you see the decline. You know what I mean? And and then sure. I mean, I'm hoping that that's not the case, but um, it's definitely not um, a really good sign. Besides, you know, his behavior was totally crazy, but he legitimately almost completely destroyed. A UFC card. I mean, that two fighters got injured because of what he did, which is right. unbelievable. I mean, nothing like this has ever That's happened. That's why I feel bad about it, the fighters that got hurt. Yeah, think about the amount of time that they spent preparing for their fight. This was a big venue. It was a New York pay-per-view card. And uh, so this wasn't like one of the smaller, you know, uh, Fox uh, shows. This was one, yeah, one of those. It was one of the big ones. And then, you know, you're on a bus going away and Connor's freaking out and throws a dolly and it breaks the glass and two fighters get cut and can't fight and then the whole the whole card is like in massive upheaval i mean that's just crazy yeah it's and you know so on some level though on some level i I heard two two stories that i was like you know it could be like on one, one story i heard was the fight card wasn't selling out you know, like this was supposed to be their big fight, uh-huh. and it wasn't getting the 
the media coverage that Dana wanted, and he kind of knew Connor was close to cracking. Uh huh. And needed for Connor to do something fucking insane. So that's why Dana announced that he was going to be at that at that venue at that press conference. He was going to announce that they were stripping Connor of the belt. Right. No, you know, in hopes that Connor would do something crazy, not in hopes that he would throw a hand truck through a bus window, <laughs> yeah. but that he would, you know, show up and be ranting and raving and screaming and cursing and throwing water bottles and things to that effect sure. to get some news. Sure. Well, I mean, that, that, that's other, always possible. All right, go go ahead and say the say the other one. The other one was we're all going to watch Connor fight Khabib now. Right. Like that'll be the highest grossing pay per view on UFC history. Right. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, it, Connor, Connor Khabib is going to be, you know, <clears throat> Connor Khabib sounds like something you order at the, uh, at the, at the falafel stand. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's always easy. I mean, for me, it's kind of like the hindsight fallacy. You can look at it in hindsight and go, oh, this was clearly a conspiracy. I think a lot of conspiracy theories are kind of like that. You can look at something after the fact and reconstruct it using selected facts to say, oh, look, this was obviously done on purpose. It's easy to do that pretty much with anything. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that was really the way to go. One thing we know for sure is that the UFC, especially since it was purchased by uh, with WMG, the William Morris group. Right, right, right. They've been having a very, very hard time because they've, they basically lost, you know, the Connor is kind of doing his own thing. He's not fighting regularly enough to actually be a draw for UFC at this time. They lost Ronda. Uh, they don't have right. John Jones. Anderson Silva's not around anymore. So while they're tremendous, um, tre- like I feel like the reason I'm still excited about UFC is because I'm into it and I know the fighters and I know how good they are. But that's because right. like I'm into it. But I think about it for the average person who's not really that into it. There are no marquee names right now. And um, I think it's very difficult for them to sell these cards when they don't have, like, you know, these kind of big-time dudes going in there like, like a John Jones and, you know, and, and, and so I don't know what the future of UFC is because WMG paid, what, like $4 billion or something ridiculous to buy UFC. And right, right. as soon as that happened, UFC started having nothing but problems. And there is also another MMA um, – uh, fighting uh, league or whatever that's coming. I don't know if it's coming out of the Middle East or Eastern Europe or something like that, but they are starting, they have some money and they're starting to court a number of UFC fighters and a number of high-ranking UFC fighters. I don't want to say who they are because uh, I don't want to cause more speculation, but really top of the food chain guys have been seen wearing the shirts of this promotion. So... There oh, are wow. yeah, and I mean UFC. There'll always be a UFC. I mean UFC is the brand, right? And right. I think UFC could benefit from having some competition. But when you just look at the UFC in particular, I think they're going to be having some hard times in the near future, you know. And um, Khabib is amazing, right? I mean Khabib is an right. unbelievable wrestler. But when you look at the outcome of that last card, Al Ayakinta, the real estate agent of Matt Sarah's student from Long Island was able to go right. five rounds on one day's notice against right, exactly one right. uh, against somebody who was supposed to completely destroy him. And yes, Khabib had a very dominant fight. But when you look at the later rounds, when he wasn't able to take Al down anymore, and then you saw his striking, you realize that a Tony Ferguson, a Conor right. McGregor, 
if they're really on point with their anti-grappling, or let's just say they, they weather the first two rounds, they're going to be lighting Khabib up for those last three championship rounds for sure. That fight did a lot to give other people, especially Tony and Connor, the template on which to beat Khabib, in my opinion. And that's not taking anything away from Khabib Nurmagomedov. That's no, it's excellent analysis. And and the Thug Rose fight was really good. Yes, it was. I was kind of happy that I'm not a huge uh, Rose Namajunas fan because I, I kind of feel she's a bit of a hot mess. Express. She tends to get very emotional about like you know oh the 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 flowers they're so beautiful I'm gonna cry. Oh I had a bad day I'm gonna cry. Oh my God this is the best milkshake I've ever had I'm gonna cry. Um, I, I tend to worry about the long-term mental stability of, of people who are like that. Having said that, she's amazing to, to see that she put a clinic on the best kickboxer who had fought in that division, and now she did it a second time, so we know it wasn't a fluke. That's really interesting. Yeah. Now, our uh, our, our our nice little producer just texted me saying that, um, that there's, there's some changes coming to the UFC. He said, you may know about this. This may be old news for you, but I didn't know this mm-hmm. stuff. He said, there'll be no more Ultimate Fighter. That's being replaced with Dana White's Contender Series. Okay. There's going to be a new weight class for men at 165. Oh, nice. And, and for women at 105. Oh. Now, I like the idea of the 165. Yes. That's, that, that, that's going to help with the weight cutting. Yes. Guys, with the, you know, that's going to maybe say something. There's going to be no more Fox deal. Instead, the fights will happen on NBC and ESPN. Oh, wow. M- NBC and ESPN will also have exclusives on certain fighters. So whenever this fighter fights, he's going to fight on a certain network. Oh, interesting. And the UFC will only have six pay-per-views a year. Oh, all right. Yeah, I mean, I feel that they've been a bit saturated. As much as I love to watch MMA, I'm always disappointed when there's no MMA card on the weekend because Saturday night... I'm a dad. I stay home on Saturday nights. And so I'm, so, I'm happy when there's some kind of fights or something to watch. I'm always disappointed when there's nothing. But, yeah, I, I have a feeling that they, they, they maybe had a few too many cards, you know, because it would be a pay-per-view card and then they'd be like, you know, the, the Fox one and this and that. And I think that it was a bit saturated. So if you make people wait a little bit more but you have better cards, I think that's, uh, that they'll probably be better. You know, I don't, I don't know if they're going to have less fights, but there'll be less pay-per-view fights. Mm. And, and I think with ESPN and um, NBC's production values, the, the whole experience will be better. The whole televised experience will be better. Sure. And that can only help, that can only help the, the sport grow. Right. You know what I mean? Have, give, giving people access to um, fights with good production values and good fighters is going to help the sport grow. Yes. You know, when you have the UFC having... Was it ten pay per views a year, right. and only basically scrubs on these like low end fight Fox deals? Right. You people like that couldn't afford the pay per views were never seeing great fights. Yes, and I kind of feel like with this here, there may be a good good chance for people that can't afford pay per views to see good fights produced well. And that'll definitely help the growth, the sport grow. Right. Hey, did you see that fight with that uh, Magadamedov Sharipov? 
I did not. So he he's like the six. He's six foot four. He fights in like a hundred forty five pound division, which is like what? <laughs> he looked like we we're making a joke. It was like they, they're not going to feed him unless he wins the fight. Like he was just so. But you can imagine having the range of someone who's six foot four fighting in the one hundred forty five pound division, and this guy fights like he's in a video game. And and he what I like is he starts his fights with like you know the Qing Dynasty kind of kung fu greeting. He comes in the octagon and does that thing, and then when he's done, he does it. And he was doing like jump kicks and crazy stuff. I mean, it was like it was like watching a kung fu fighter in there. It was really incredible, and um, I'm very excited to see that guy fight more in the future. I think he's, and he's another one like like Khabib. He's another one of this, these Dagestani guys. So it's like, man, what what's in the water over there, man? Those guys are those guys are in, insane. Now let me ask you a question. What's your opinion on this? Do you think having so many fighters? I don't know how to say this without getting sound like a complete asshole. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go with it. Mm-hmm. A guy like Khabib, like you know, they can barely speak English. Uh huh. Oh, wait, so, oh, oh, and uh, full disclosure, people. Um, Sean is a total Trump fan, by the way. This, so this completely lines up. Whatever he says now, that is the disclaimer. Okay, continue, Sean. Build the wall. Build the wall. <laughs> <laughs> no. So you're okay, basically anyway, saying not- you don't like immigrants and foreigners, right? That, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying, does that hurt the sport? Well, when um, the top people in the sport yes. don't speak English. Well, I mean, uh, perhaps there is a certain base of Americans that uh, you know, well, well, that guy, why doesn't he just speak English? You know, if it's good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for him. You know, and so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. And so, yeah, you're always going to have kind of that contingent in uh, whenever you're doing something at the scale of something like a UFC. But unfortunately, for those people, I mean, some of the best fighters are not American, right? And the level of the American fighters is is obviously really top. We have a lot of really fantastic fighters. There's a lot of talent coming out of America, especially with our wrestling background and pedigree. But, yeah, I mean, you have um, – Obviously, the OGs, you got the Brazilians, they're going to be Asian fighters, Chinese fighters now from mainland, Korean fighters, and then you have these Dagestani guys, Russian guys, and so on. So um, I think that if a fighter wants to be successful, they need to learn English if they're going to be big in the UFC, but that's their personal choice. And I think that Jose Aldo, as big of a star as he was during his big run, would have been bigger had he been able to speak English. You know what I mean? So, but that was a decision that he made. And, and so, um, and it's, it's not a matter of casting any kind of judgment. I just feel that it is the way it is. Unfortunately, a lot of Americans, when they need to hear a translator or they need to see subtitles, they just go, Oh God, I can't do this, you know? And so, um, the ugly American. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is something, um, that from a marketing perspective, you know, some of those fighters do need to think about. I mean, for me personally, I don't, I don't care. I don't think you care. I don't think most actual I, I martial arts care. people I, care. Alex was kidding about. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, before we get any I angry just... tweets, that was all a joke. Build that wall. So you know, th- yeah. th- there was. <laughs> we're just kidding. <laughs> Actually, be- before the uh, before the podcast, I was telling Sean that I I just recently tweeted a story about an American fighter, a boxer, I think he's like a featherweight boxer, who had, um, the fight was in California, and he had shorts on that said America first, and the design on it was like the wall, you know, like the wall that Trump wants to build. 
and it said America first, and he's like a huge Trump supporter, and he fought a Mexican boxer, and that Mexican boxer kicked his ass seven ways from Sunday. And so oh, uh, I just, it was a great article. Vice had posted it. It was really good. If you guys are interested in it, uh, it's on my uh, Twitter timeline. You guys can check it out. It's pretty funny. So, so what's new in the world of Wing Chun, my friend? Well, actually, um, we had mentioned uh, Jim Rosalando earlier about you uh, deciding that you're going to have a spinoff podcast with Jim Rosalando, which I'm very upset about. Um, <laughs> but actually, first of all, yes, I have a little man crush on Jim Rosalando. Why is that? I just think he's, I just think he's cool. His eyes are pretty damn dreamy too. Let's be honest. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the bomb and that man. boston accent it's it's it's, it's boston accent that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> so uh actually i'm going to be teaching on a seminar in boston it's um it's another workshop like i did uh, two years ago where it's uh, with a, a couple other sifus like it's kind of a multi-lineage thing i think your uh your guys went went to that first one that i did right uh, they're coming to this one also yeah so um that is uh, for our uh, listeners who may be in the boston area in may uh it's saturday may 26 i think that's memorial day weekend but memorial day is monday you can go and get drunk on monday on saturday you can come and do some wing chun in boston with us so it's um it's me it's sifu mark phillips uh sifu phil romero from the hawkins chung lineage and of course sifu jim rosalando and we are, um, so it's four teachers, six hours of Wing Chun kind of thing. And um, the topic is beauty. So uh, we're all going to uh, show, I mean, we're not going to teach our versions of the beauty form for six hours. That would be kind of ridiculous. We're each going to give like a couple ideas, some perspective on how beauty is applied or used within our own lineage and, uh, and teach that to the participants. So this is actually a huge opportunity for a lot of people to see kind of what different takes are on the Buji form. And of course, um, although Jim's, uh, the Wing Chun he teaches, the Pinsan Wing Chun, doesn't formally have a Buji set, but Buji is part. And the Buji techniques are part of the Leung Chun's Pinsan Wing Chun as well. So uh, it'll also be interesting to see what he has uh, to show in terms of that. So I'm super excited to do it all. I'm gonna come up with uh, probably one of my guys as an assistant. And uh, we'll teach that, and and um, so super excited about that. Uh, all kind of dudes of kung fu podcast listeners, if you're going to be in the Boston area again, it's May 26. It's from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. The cost is 100 bucks. If you're interested in coming, uh, hit up Jim Rosalando on Facebook. Uh, there's also a Facebook events page. It's a Boston Wing Chun Workshop, and uh, you can sign up for it. You got to pre-register to go. Uh, space is limited, and we'll uh, see you there. So uh, that's pretty much the main uh, uh, thing that, you know, the new thing that I guess I could tell the podcast listeners besides um, my school has been growing in fits and spurts. Like it's, uh, I, I haven't been, you know, it's kind of funny. You, you, you were, you had your health issue. You weren't able to do the podcast, but I was also so overloaded with teaching in the last six weeks and finishing book projects and finishing an online teaching project. I also didn't really have a lot of time to, to dedicate to the podcast, and now I finally finished some of those projects, so I can I can come back and do it. So everything seems to work out, Sean. Right? Exactly yeah. right, buddy. I, I know Seth and Chris are really excited about coming to the seminar, Larry. They had a great time last time, and they uh, they're definitely looking forward to coming. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, um, in general, I'm not 
uh, a super big fan of the nice person. Uh, yeah, I'm not a super nice person. I'm actually a, t- a horrifically angry person most times. I can I can put it together for the podcast usually, but then as soon as I turn the mic off, I just start cursing and throwing stuff. It's unbelievable, um, and that's basically the normal me. But uh, no, I'm I'm not. To to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the multi lineage seminar thing. Um, and <laughs> right. and I I've I've been invited to do many of these. Over the course of the years, and I almost—I mean—as a knee-jerk reaction, I just declined. And uh, the reason why I do this is one: it's Jim. Jim is my really good friend. I love him to death. And if he asks me to do something, and it works in my schedule, I'll definitely—I'll definitely do it. Um, but it's also because the guys who are coming, this is a really good set of guys, and the people who have visited the seminar—at least the first time I did it—you know—come from multiple different lineages, and there was none of this kind of like posturing and tough guy nonsense that you often see at these kind of events um i think the reason i i don't like these events is not only do people kind of come and they're all about well i'll come and learn from the other guys but actually you know i'm the best and fuck the rest kind of idea um the reason is when i was a very early wing chun student when i was like a teenager i actually went to one of these things and at that time, I wasn't an instructor. I was just a student. I had only been doing Wing Chun maybe for six months or whatever. And I was living in Seattle at that time. And I went to something called a Wing Chun Friendship Seminar. And it was like, I think, uh, it was in Canada. And there were, I think, Benny Meng was there. Renee Ritchie was there. Ray Van Ramstonk was there. And a bunch of other Wing Chun guys were there, right? And... It was my first exposure to other Wing Chun lineages besides the non-classical Wing Chun I had been learning in the Seattle area. I was very curious to see what other Wing Chun schools would do, right? And when I went there, it was like a well-attended seminar. There were maybe, let's say, 50 people there, right? But everybody came and they were all in their own cliques. And then like everyone, like one person would teach, but like all the other cliques would kind of stay together, kind of with their arms crossed listening to whoever was talking as if they from the beginning didn't actually really want to accept and hear what the other person said which i always find is kind of wrong it's like you come to a seminar to learn from other people and then paradoxically don't want to learn what those other people have to say or you want to come and be like oh you or you come just to be a contrarian and contradict them and then i go that's not the spirit of these things right so and then the the political stuff that just came out of people's mouths at this thing and that was my first kind of uh introduction to oh wing chun is really political and really shitty and here are a bunch of really famous wing chun people in one room and they can't stand each other and when people say oh they don't like politics openly and then you hear them even in a seminar it's not even behind closed doors and you see what they're really like and you go oh well this is what they're like openly you know they're much worse in private and then I realized sure. that this veneer, like if somebody's political and doesn't l- like other lineages or whatever, if they let people know, you might disagree with that person, but at least that person is telling you that they're opinionated. What we have in Wing Chun is we have a lot of this kind of fake humility where people pretend that they're friendly with other lineages and, oh, we're all one family and oh, we're all brothers. But they are oftentimes the one you have to really watch out for because they're extremely tribal and divisive and political. But then again, there are people who are legitimately like that, like Jim Rosalando and Mark Phillips and Phil Romero, and they're cool, and that's why I'll do something like this, right? 
So um, it's just very rare. It, it's just the right amount of people. And the other reason why I generally don't like these things is I've, I find sometimes students come there who are not very serious. They come to collect techniques. Oh, they're going to learn like this guy's move, th this guy's movement from this thing and then that guy's movement from that thing and that guy's movement from this thing. And they're going to try to mix it together and hope that they have something that makes sense without any concept behind it. But right. the, in general, that's not the type of people who've been coming to these things. But, um, you know, it, it was the right mix of people. And, and so that's the reason why I'm doing it. Would love to see you guys out there. If you're fans of the podcast, uh, come and check it out. I'll be more than happy to meet with you guys. And um, and see you guys in Boston in May. So, um, what do you think about those things, Sean? Have you? I does Jeet Kune Do have stuff like that, like multi lineage seminars with different Sifu's teaching? I mean, and is it a is sure, is it a hot mess? A yeah. Well, the, that was basically the nucleus seminars. Mm -hmm. The nucleus used to give seminars, and each of the nucleus instructors would um, be in a room and basically teach for you know, whatever the, the prescribed time was, an hour and a half or something. And mm -hmm. groups of students would go from room to room to room. So they would train with Chris Kent in one room, and then they would go to Ted Wong, and then they would go to somebody else and mm -hmm. someone else, and, and, and get a different flavor. Because especially in Jeet Kune Do, there's such uh, personal expressions on so much stuff, right. you know. But, they, they, but then you have, you know, of course you have the same exact problems as you described. Right. You know, there's 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 people that you know my my lineage and only my lineage. Yes. Um, and you have the you have the guys that just want to be a pain in the ass. They want to go to to, to be. They want to go train with you know Sifu X, just so they can say I trained with Sifu X and his shit sucked. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's the only reason that they want to go. Mm -hmm. Is to say, oh, I, I train with him and his shit sucks. Right. You know, now, and the, conversely, the other problem, one of the other problems with um, JKD that I noticed is like some lineages in, within Jeet Kune Do are um, open to training with other, other styles. Mm -hmm. So like, especially in the concepts, they'll train like, you know, a lot of guys train with Guru Dan, you know, right. and they'll say, well, I train with, you know, I train with Guru Dan. I, I also train in Wing Chun. I also train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. I train in Muay Thai. Unfortunately, and I don't blame Guru Dan for this or anybody else involved, like they'll train, they, they train with Guru Dan and Jeet Kune Do, and they say, well, I, and I train Wing Chun, but it's always with Francis Fong. Right. You know, and they train with Muay Thai, it's always with Chai Sursat. Right. You know what I mean? They, you know, they, they train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's always with the Machados. Right. You know what I mean? Because that's the associated person with that group. So, like, again, I'm not speaking to everybody. I'm just speaking to my experience with dealing with a lot of JKD people. It seems to be that even when they go, they step outside of Jeet Kune Do and are going to experience other arts, it's only with certain prescribed teachers. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you may train with this Jeet Kune Do person and, oh, I want to add Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, you should train with this person. Now, I'm sure the recommendation comes with an honest belief in that this is who I really think is the best person for you to learn from. But it's taken tribally. Sure. Like, oh, the, my, in my tribe, we only train with this guy. And it just extends this idea of tribalism that's just... Like, I mean, I like the whole one tribe, one vibe thing. And, like, that's big with the Straight West Gyms guys. 
but you have to kind of also live it you know yeah it has to be genuine right it can't you can't say it and then behind closed doors go oh but this you know that guy this this guy that right exactly right you have you have to you kind of have to live it you know um and it's one actually it's one of my biggest uh Hugaboos about my weight is that it stopped me from doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for a long, for, for forever now, mm-hmm. and um, and it's I, I really miss it because like uh, that that was that was the, that was a lot of fun. Yes, I was a wrestler all through school, and you know it was, it's so funny because people ask me like, oh, how'd you hook up with Matt Thornton? And they think it's because of Matt Thornton's. Um, internet presence at the time uh-huh. and and folks this is like almost 20 years ago so 15 years ago maybe but it was funny how i ended up matt thornton was true tribalism now matt thornton and steve golden were not friends uh-huh. they're still not friends uh-huh. they you know know of each other but they're not friends uh, they're not friends because they, they had something or they just they're just not aware of each other or something? they're just they're just they're just you know they met once oh, okay. they, they're not they don't know each other but they met once and Steve spoke with Matt, and I don't know how much they even spoke about it, but I remember a long time ago calling up Steve and saying that I, you know, I was a pretty good wrestler in school, and I want to start doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And the first words out of his mouth were, you know, I met this man, Matt Thornton. He doesn't like what we do very much, but he sounded really intelligent. You should contact him. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up, and it's, you know, a perfect example of, you know, unintentional tribalism. Right. You know, it's like I hooked up with Matt Thornton. I was perfectly happy I did, but I did it because my Sifu said, that's the guy who I should go train with, you right, know? Right, right. And this, this tribalism in the martial arts, even if it's unintentional, yes, it's, it, it really is a problem. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons I respect Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu so much. Yes. Is that although you will find tribalism within Brazilian For Jiu-Jitsu, sure. open mats are fucking beauties. I mean, you can go to any Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school and just roll. Right. And we've said this on the podcast a half a dozen times. You can go literally any Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school, pay an open mat fee, and train there. Yeah. And no one's looking at you like you're an enemy. Right, exactly. You try you try walk into a Wing Chun school. Yeah. And, and say, uh, can I train here for the day? Yeah. It's not going to happen. For sure. And for good reason. I mean, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, all, yeah I mean, also the, with Wing Chun, because uh, you don't know how that person trains, and you don't know what they think training is, and what, what fighting is, and stuff. And there's <laughs> Absolutely liabilities. Right. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a built-in mechanism to kind of deal with that problem that some striking arts, not just Wing Chun, but striking arts in general, don't necessarily have. It's, it's, it's a Kung Fu thing, I think. For sure. You know? Yeah. You know, because even like, because I mean, you can go to any boxing gym and anybody will, tra- almost anybody will spar with you. Almost anybody there will train with you. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to any Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's, it's, I think it's the arts that are run by sports yeah. or are sport, I don't know the right word for it, sport dominated, sport, sports centric. Yeah. I think the arts that are sports-centric are more open to outsiders mm-hmm. than kung fu, karate, and you know. And I don't. I'm not saying kung fu and karate are, are wrong for what they do. It's just different. Yes. And you know, you know, different doesn't have to mean better or worse. It's just it is just different. Yeah. And um, and I do miss that about the uh, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, straight blast gyms, 
environment. Sure. This whole idea of just like everybody was very hang loose and relaxed and right and 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 mentally healthy. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely the way to go. I, I wish there was more of that in the traditional martial arts. It, it's funny because. I get a lot of messages on like my public page um, or sometimes on my Twitter and stuff, and I, I get a lot of strange stuff. Sometimes from WT people, people within you know my own so-called Wing Chun family, and also like from the greater Wing Chun community. And I, I realize obviously this isn't always the case. There's obviously some great, straightforward, upstanding people out there, but I notice that a lot of times people will ask me questions about personalities within Wing Chun and what do I think of this guy and what do I think of that guy or what do I think of this technique or um, uh, you know, Sifo Alex, you once wrote an article about this but this guy says that doesn't work or whatever. What do you think about that? And it's almost like the conversations that people tend to bring up in Wing Chun organically are completely designed simply to inflame. So so right. the kind of questions that they ask, it's like if I were to just answer them at face value and the person whom it was directed to read it, even if I was relatively diplomatic, it would essentially do nothing but inflame people. And it's unfortunately the characteristic of well, definitely Jeet Kune Do, you have it as well, but I'm just going to oh, I'm just going to stay in my wheelhouse with Wing Chun here. Um you know, it's it's like for example, I got a, I got a ridiculous email yesterday from somebody that is kind of from the WT family, but he's not a student of mine. He's not somebody who's been trained from our school or anything like that. And he asked me like about go about go sao go sao meaning chi sao sparring, and he says, oh so and so whom I think you know says that Guo Sao doesn't work or something. And he wouldn't name the person, but he kind of like did it in such a way where I would figure out who it was. And he's like, so what do you think about that? And the thing is, it's absurd for a number of reasons. First of all, this isn't like one of my close students where I'm going to, I'm invested in, in educating them in martial arts, right? Um, I don't know this person. So it's like, you want to learn from me, you know, you come to New York and you book me for a private lesson. I'm not your on-demand Sifu by email. You know what I mean? Se right. Second, it's like, the problem is, why is my opinion on this so important to this person? Like, it's like, Sean, if you, if you really like something, and then, like, let's say you like some certain type of guitar playing, and then I go, but Sean, I just read this article in Guitar World that says this type of guitar playing is not really real. What do you think about that? Like, what is that conversation meant? Like, what what is the end? What is the end game of that conversation? Are you and I both going to be better people for having had that conversation? Am I going to understand guitar more, right? And when it comes to martial arts, it's even more inflammatory because he's basically trying to get me to say why somebody I used to train with supposedly doesn't believe in certain things that maybe I still teach or maybe I don't. But it's like very ambiguous. And this is somebody I barely know. And I'm just like, and I, I, I wrote him back. I was like, dear so-and-so, if you like it, train it. Best regards. You know what I mean? He wrote me like this huge long email trying to get, like just trying to dig and poke. And it's like, I'm <laughs> not going to take that bait. I've been around for too long. But it's indicative of the regular discourse. Like social media has made us like that. Somebody posts something. Oh, what did you think of that thing that that person posted? And I go, I don't think much about it. They go, oh, you didn't see it? No, I saw it. 
I don't have an opinion on it. The, the problem we have with like social media and instant gratification is that just because something has been put in front of you doesn't mean you need to react to it. It's like we're trained because we're tethered to our phones. Oh man, did you see this guy post? This guy said Wing Chun sucked. Would you? This guy posted on YouTube that Wing Chun is told bullshit. What do you think about that? Um, I don't think about it. Oh, you didn't see it? No, I saw it. Uh, I, I, it, I don't care. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right, it's like exactly. it's difficult for people to realize you can watch something that is even totally against the thing that you love and be completely neutral about it. Like somebody say, oh, Wing Chun is total shit or Lung Ting is total shit or the Yip Man is total shit. I can listen to a guy talk about that for 15 minutes and my heart rate doesn't even change. Right. Sure. You, you know what I mean? I, and I love Wing Chun and Wing Chun is my world and and none of that would even bother me. So somebody insults my teacher uh, or doesn't like my wing, wing Chun or something like that, it doesn't move the needle at all because everyone talks about martial arts being about learning to control yourself. And somebody can say words and that's enough to get in your head and make you upset. Yet everyone is a martial artist and they're learning higher virtue, but no one displays it. Everyone is reactionary. Someone posts something, Ugh. oh, well, this guy said this. So what? Do your thing. Right, go and sure. train. Go teach. Do, do the good work and be the person that's being talked about, not the person doing the talking. And that is what you should achieve to be, right? And, like, there's no reason why anybody needs to react to anything, you know? That was like a mic drop moment, bro. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, oh, Speaking of shit people react to, did you see this Wing Chun guy get beat up by the Chinese MMA fighter? I, I'm sorry. I don't watch any of that crap. So, so um, well, it's it's good that you don't. See, now I'm, I'm asking you to react just like I told you not to, right? Um, no, remember our boy, we did that podcast in the last season yes, about, about, remember, about the Chinese yeah. MMA guy who beat up the Tai Chi guy. So, yes. so now he, he fought supposedly a Wing Chun guy. And the Wing Chun guy just did horribly, but it's, it, I didn't even watch the whole fight. But apparently, it was it was called to a draw. It wasn't. But I saw the opening thing, and I'm like, oh, the MMA guy was totally kicking the Wing Chun guy's ass. And again, people were like, oh, Sifu, did you see that video? What do you think about that? And I'm like, well, I don't think anything about it. The like, yeah, kid, but it was a Wing Chun guy. I go, well, first of all, it's not my student. It's not my teacher. It's not me. That guy. Does anything that anybody says under the banner of Wing Chun doesn't have to mean that that represents you. You know what right, I mean? Exactly it's like right. I don't take responsibility for what other Wing Chun people do or their poor or good performances, including those in my own lineage. That's their own thing. Second of all, this so-called Wing Chun guy, they, they build him as being the number four Wing Chun guy in Hong Kong. So, so Sean, okay. I know you haven't been to Hong Kong but clearly you know about the unified rules of Wing Chun ranking in Hong Kong that everyone falls <laughs> under, right? It's, it's just like in UFC, you know, it's like Connor's number one, you know, Khabib is a champion, Connor's number one, you know, Tony's number two, right? So since when do Wing Chun people have rankings like this in Hong Kong? That's, what, that's the, what the F does it mean to be? And you know what I mean? It's like the, pro, the promoters were like, well, we can't say he's the number one guy because that would be too embarrassing. But if we say if he's the number four guy, it's kind of believable, right? Okay, we'll say he's the number four guy. What does it mean to be the number four Wing Chun guy in Hong Kong? Most Wing Chun guys don't compete. And if Wing Chun guys in Hong Kong compete, they compete under Sanda, you know, Chinese kickboxing. Right. And they essentially do Sanda and throw a chain punch in here every now and again. 
So is he the number four ranked Sanda fighter in Hong Kong who happens to be from a Wing Chun school? I don't think so because he wouldn't have fought that way if he did. Is he the number four teacher in Hong Kong? I doubt that very highly. I know almost all of the famous Wing Chun Sifus in Hong Kong. If I don't know them personally, I know of them. I've never heard. The guy's name is Ding Hao. Ding Hao. Ding Hao, the number four Wing Chun guy in Hong Kong. I've never heard of Ding Hao. I'm sorry to quote Leung Ting. Oh, that Ding oh, Hao. That, to, to, to quote my ex-teacher, who the hell is Ding Hao? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, but now this guy's the number four Wing Chun guy no one's ever heard of. And you know why it felt kind of shammy? And this is not to say that it wasn't a real fight. Because I'm not going to be like, oh, the Tai Chi guy really got his ass kicked, but the Wing Chun guy was fake. No, 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 no. I'm a little skeptical of any fights that come out of mainland China because there are a lot of stage fights out of Hong Kong. Or, sorry, out of China. Having said that, um, would you trust someone's fighting experience? Let's say, Sean, you go like, all right, there's an MMA guy and he's being challenged by a traditional martial artist. Let's not even make him a kung fu guy. Let's make him, I don't know. Uh, Whatever. Okay, let's make him a kung fu guy, but let's not make him a Wing Chun guy. They, okay. we, we show up to the fight, and the MMA guy shows up in fight shorts and MMA gloves and maybe a rash guard, right? The kung okay. fu guy shows up in silk pajamas. Right. Immediately, before the fight even happens, what would your assessment be? It's a performance. Yes, and it's because the kung fu guy is meant to look like the kung fu guy, so they put him in silk right. pajamas. And if the kung fu guy, and that's not to say that they're not kung fu guys out there who can fight... Mainland China, there are a lot of amazing Sanda fighters, a lot of very tough Wing Chun guys, a lot of tough guys from different styles, right? But if you're an actual Kung Fu guy who's fought, you don't show up in the silk pajamas. Right, Our exactly boy right. Ding Hao showed up in the silk, you know, frog button top, okay? And I'm just That's going, awesome. if you're a Wing Chun guy, dude, the guys in the 50s, when you see those rooftop fights, they would take their shirt offs and fight at least in the tank top, their undershirts from their their suit you know what i mean they wouldn't be in there right, right. in that kind of jacket you know what i mean so it just seems like kind of like oh you're representing the kung fu guy for the sake of whoever put this thing up and right, the guy sure. had no exactly the guy right. had no lateral movement the guy clearly was not used to fighting against someone who knows how to box even at a very low level and quite frankly that guy um uh xu xiaodong was the mma fighter's name He's not a super high-ranking pro MMA fighter, but he's definitely had some fights and he's had a lot of training. So when my, well, somebody came up to me, he's like, oh, Steve, Alex, what do you think about that, that Wing Chun guy who got beat up by the MMA guy? I go, well, I don't think anything about it. Because if you look at it and you just look at the facts and you take away, um, you take away say, the emotional attachment you have to Wing Chun and you just look at it on paper, a semi-pro highly experienced fighter, MMA fighter, who outweighed the other guy, beat up a smaller, inexperienced fighter. You would have the same outcome whether they were both MMA people, whether one was a karate, whether one was a highly experienced full contact Kyokushin guy and the other guy was a lighter weight, no experience, whatever the hell style, insert, right? So right. Th the thing is that uh, this stupid Wing Chun Ding Hao, like he was, he was the the Xu Xiong Dao, Xu Xiao Dong outweighed him by at least 30, 40 pounds. 
And he's wow. an MMA fighter. And he goes in there with silk pajamas. And he clearly doesn't have any fighting experience. So I'm going, all right, and this is the number four guy in Wing Chun. <laughs> all right, so, I mean, it, 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 while I legitimately believe that that was an actual guy in there who has done some Wing Chun and got his ass kicked, legitimately, it's not a, it, the fight wasn't thrown, but the fight was stacked. Right, And sure, so, sure. Um, you know, I don't have any emotional attachment to that because it's just like, I, I could have told you. I knew immediately before the fight started when that Wing Chun guy put his stupid guard up in the silk pajamas and Xu Xiaodong put his hands up there. I'm going to go, oh, this isn't going to last very long. So, um, you know, and and I have no, and that doesn't sway the needle for me because I'm a Wing Chun guy. That doesn't bother me at all. Right, you know what I mean? Um, there's no need to be emotionally attached or get upset because you do Wing Chun, you happen to do Wing Chun and it was a Wing Chun guy. You know what I mean? Right, it's exactly. People, people get all tribal like yes. like uh recently when i say recently probably within the last six months or a year i saw pictures popping up on facebook of anderson silver playing on the john yes and like these wing chun people were posting it left and right as if now anderson silver represents wing chun as if wing chun can now take credit for everything anderson silver has done in the past and exactly will do in the future because there's pictures of him playing on a jong. And God forbid Anderson Silva gets knocked the fuck out. Yes. They'll say, well, it's from a different lineage. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. He really doesn't know that much, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, what I like about Anderson Silva, he's a huge Bruce Lee fan. He loves traditional martial arts. He just got, last year he actually shot his first Hong Kong film. It's going to be coming out shortly. I forget the name of it, but it's actually with a relatively big director and, and – uh, um, has a you know a big cast for Hong Kong standards and so it's kind of cool to see him maybe kind of transition into that now in his career. I love we see and but Wing Chun people are like that. They're into really gimmicky stuff all the time. Like um, sure, you 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 have like oh Anderson Silva he's there and he's doing a bunch of stuff on the wooden dummy. And if you actually look and see what Anderson Silva does on the wooden dummy, and you know it's it's actually a bunch of nonsense. It's not Wing Chun. It's just. It's just right. there's a wooden dummy in front of it, and he's kind of slapping it with his hands and doing stuff like that. And Wing Chun people who know better, I mean, they know that it, – and it's not to say Anderson Silva sucks because he doesn't know Wing Chun. Um, it's just that, like, you could take somebody – like, if, he, if Michael Jordan went up to, like, a wooden dummy – and did like a bunch of roundhouse kicks on it and then like went into deep horse stance and like slapped the groin of the wooden dummy. Wing Chun people would be like, oh my God, Michael Jordan is training Wing Chun now. You know what I mean? Like they get so right. excited because, you know, there's some connection to pop culture and Wing Chun that they excuse, which is basically the, the total phenomenon of the Yip Man movies. It's like Yip Man 1 was good, I'll grant you that, but like, the stories of like Yip Man 3 and like where they're going off the rails with Mike Tyson, but it doesn't matter. I mean, they're now shooting this past weekend because my, my good friend Law Mong, the, the toad from Five Deadly Venoms, he's in Yip Man 4 and they just started shooting. Uh, it's Yip Man 4 is going to be Yip Man in America. So I, sh oh, I shit thee not, Donnie Yen's Yip Man. <laughs> is going to come to America and come to some Chinatown, I can only assume New York or San Francisco, and is going to, obviously, there's going to be some local Kung Fu people in the Chinatown, and then, you know, shenanigans will ensue, right? And 
Yeah, oh. they, I don't think Yip Man ever came to the States or whatever, but it's like Yip Man 5 could be Donnie Yen sitting on a table, passing wind with a wooden dummy in the background, and the Wing Chun guys will be like, oh my god, Yip Man 5 is the most amazing Wing Chun movie I've ever seen. It's like at this point, he doesn't need to do any Wing Chun movements. The story doesn't right. need to be anything near what's actually going on. And, and look, these aren't documentaries, and we've discussed this before. I'm not looking for them to do a deep dive and do a realistic presentation of Yip Man in the movies. But they can still write good stories, and they're not. Yip Man 3 is a horribly written film. Take out Yip Man, take out Wing Chun, insert any other kung fu or whatever. It is a dog shit kung fu movie. Dog shit. <laughs> but it's Donnie Yen, it's Yip Man, it's Wing Chun, and the Wing Chun people go nuts. It's like he can do no wrong. It's like you ever, do you ever see that video of Elvis? It's like his last performance and he's drunk and high as hell on stage. Do you ever see that? I have seen that. Actually. So he goes on, as soon as Elvis gets on stage, he's a sweaty mess and he hasn't even sang one note yet, right? So you right. know he's just like, he's on all sorts of shit. And he starts right. singing the song and I forget, I don't know if it's a song, Are You Lonesome Tonight? I don't remember what song it is, but it's one of those songs where he has, it's not a rap, but he's got this part where it's, he's got like a spoken word break in the middle of the song. You know, where it's like he's singing and then you go, Right. Yeah, baby, uh, you know, I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart. You know, it's like he's got one of those, like, spoken word riffs. And so he goes up there and he sings. And Elvis, to his credit, his voice still didn't waver even towards the end. You know, like some singers with the drugs, they lose their voice. His voice was still on point. Probably the day he died on the toilet, he could still belt out all of his songs perfectly, right? But Elvis is on there and he's clearly high as hell and drunk as hell. And he gets to this spoken word part and he starts messing up the words. And he's like, and but by messing up the words, he's like, and he's going, plus tax. Or forget the words, you, you damn fool. And like, people loved Elvis so much, they right. just start clapping and cheering. And literally, they paid who knows how much to see Elvis. He's butchering the living piss out of one of his songs. And they're screaming because it's Elvis. I'm convinced right. Elvis could have dropped his pants, dropped a load on the stage, bowed and walked up, and he'd get a standing ovation because did you see Elvis took a shit on the stage? That's amazing. Oh my God, that was a legit <laughs> Elvis one right there, right? And I kind of have a feeling, and I'm not comparing Donnie Yen to late stage bloated dying of drugs Elvis. <laughs> But I'm just saying that Donnie Yen's star has risen so much that he could just – he could go and just, you know, twiddle his finger between his lips and go for an hour and a half in the Yip Man costume and touch a wooden dummy twice and do a couple kicks. And it would be like, my god, that was the best representation of Wing Chun I've ever seen because they just get excited. And no Wing Chun person can look at a single one of those Yip Man films critically and go – yeah, I'm happy what it, for what it does for the art. The film is dog shit, though. You know what I mean? Right. So um, anyway, I kind of feel we're, we're kind of in that stage right now with the Yip Man movies where it's going to be Yip Man 6, Yip in space. And then they're just going to be like, yeah, well, you know, it was true. He did, you know, like 
because of Kennedy, like, you know, he got that mission to space and, you know, went to space, you know, like, like people will justify it, like the hindsight effect, like your Conor McGregor thing. Oh, no, no, it was. It did actually happen. And then the conspiracy theories will come. And then we have Yip in space. Oh, God. So that's where you it's going. You would know. Question. Uh, change of topic, Please. I guess. Just I thought about it while you were talking. What is common wear in Hong Kong now in most Wing Chun schools? Like, I know, like, in America, you get a lot of, like, T-shirts and shorts, T-shirts, sweatpants, T-shirts, Kung Fu pants. Right. What what do you see mostly in 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 Hong Kong? Uh, jeans, button up T shirts, sometimes watches, um, sport coats. Um, I don't know, zip up jackets. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of like Wing Chun didn't really have a, a uniform, but if you look at the old photos of Yip Man teaching, like most of the guys, like. They wore, they wore a suit because you wore a suit in the 50s, right? You would come to Wing Chun right. training. You still kept those shoes on. And you would take your button-up shirt off and then you had your undershirt underneath, right? And right, you would basically, right, you right. know, like you see the old 50s. They're basically wearing like dress slacks and they have an undershirt on and they train. And there was something kind of cool about that, right? But there are some group photos where you see Yip Man students are actually wearing Kung Fu pants, Kung Fu shoes, and a white t-shirt. Right? right, and that was kind of like the training uniform, like a very like they generally didn't wear the button-up kind of jacket thing. Yip Man would wear that because he was very traditional and did not like to wear Western clothes, and and that was even very strange for the fifties and sixties. Yip Man, even in the fifties and sixties, most Chinese men wore Western-style clothing, and Yip Man would walk down the street wearing the frog button jacket right. and pink because he was so old school, right? Um, Nowadays, unfortunately, if you go to a good Hong Kong school, they will wear like kung, like a Kung Fu uniform or at least Kung Fu pants and a T-shirt of the school. Professional schools in Hong Kong still have some kind of uniform. Um, Wan Kam Leung school, like they all wear shirt. Sometimes they wear Kung Fu pants or they wear jeans or they wear sweatpants, but they all have to wear the same shirt. So there is some kind of like standardization there, even if it's not a complete uniform. But if you go to the Wing Chun Athletic Association, it's kind of like a bunch of out of shape dudes in jeans and like a, a t-shirt with like dim sum stains on it and a button up jacket or a zip up jacket. And like, you know, sometimes they'll be wearing and they'll be wearing rings. And so for me, you know, I understand when people are like, oh, Wing Chun's not about uniforms and ranks. Yeah, I get that. But if you're going to. If you're going to teach professionally, you do you should right, have, you have some kind of look. you have to have a professional look. Uniforms are the easiest way to do that. And even if you don't have uniforms, you should train martial arts, even Wing Chun in some kind of sport clothing. You know what I mean? Right. Like some sweatpants or like jogging pants or something like that and a t-shirt or a rash guard or something like when I see like they just come wearing jeans and clunky sneakers and it's like and and there's there's no uniformity and there's no uniformity in the teaching program and it's just a mess and it, it's very embarrassing. It's like the the a lot of Wing Chun people these days don't even bother showing up to training in in proper training clothes and you're just like right. ugh, it's so disappointing. I, I know I know I told the story once before on the podcast, but you'll have to live through it again. Um, my my Sifu once said uh, saw the that picture. It's quasi famous picture of, of Moyat holding the Bacham Dao in shorts and a, and a t-shirt 
and he had uh, saw that Moyat had it in the school, and he asked, "Oh, could I have this picture of you? Or do you have like do you have the negative so I can have it blown up like?" And he says, Moyat looked at him and says, "Why do you want this picture of me?" And he goes, "Well, it's you know you're holding the knives, and it's it's kind of a cool picture, and I want." And he goes, "And what would you do with this picture?" He says, "Well, I would hang it in my house." He says, Tom, you want a picture of me in my underwear? <laughs> he goes, your underwear? Why are you training in your underwear? So it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hong Kong. It's hot as hell in there. <laughs> he goes, so we were training our underwear. It was hot, you know? <laughs> and I remember, like, when he told me that story, because I, I think it was in response to, like, what did you wear in, in Moyat school? And, and he says, oh, let me tell you a funny story about Moyat right. when it comes to uniforms. Right. But I just thought that was a, a very human story sure. about Moyat, like, you know, about the realities of, like, it was hot, so I wore my underwear, and someone took a picture. I don't know why, but they did. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's also what I, I like about Maxivu. Every time Maxivu, my good friend who's a Hongar master you met at the 15-year anniversary. Dude, I love that guy. When, when every time he teaches in Hong Kong, like, when he teaches at, at the gym, he, you know, he whatever he comes in wearing, he goes in the back, he puts on his kung fu pants, his martial art training shoes, and then if it's a little bit chillier, he'll put the jacket on. If not, he has the you know the white Chinese shirt with yep. the two buttons at the top, and it, you know it says like the family style on there, and always very professional. And and you know they definitely speak some of that. It's, it's it's not about the uniforms and the pajamas and all that kind of stuff, but there there needs to be some kind of standardization, especially if you teach professionally, and at the very right. least show up in some damn training clothes. You know what I mean? So it's. He he's also but he's very funny. He's awesome. I love Maxifu. He's he's amazing. Oh, Maxifu is awesome. Yeah, yeah. He, I'm super excited to see him again. I just love. He's just a treasure trove of, of of martial arts knowledge, and it's just great to talk to him and exchange techniques. And he's so open, and and you know, like I can do my Wing Chun long pole, and he'll do his style long pole, and we can practice, and he'll show me what they do, and we go like I can honestly exchange weapon techniques and fist fighting techniques with a legit high-level master of a legit traditional kung fu style like it's completely open book i actually he's writing his first book right now and um and i wrote the forward for it i'm super excited about that coming out can't wait can't wait to see it oh that's that's fantastic that's i hope he i hope he gets an opportunity to come back to new york again i'd like to yeah i would definitely love to see him again um but probably most likely I'll, i'll see him again when i go back to hong kong in uh in July sure, and sure. August, and and we are we are now planning a uh, uh, a training camp in Hong Kong. Uh, it's for my school, for my association. But um, if there are people out there who are interested, especially those who have a like a WT, a Learning Ting Wing Chun background, will probably be more beneficial. Um, I'm we're gonna go to Hong Kong, and we're gonna go maybe for a week and a half, two weeks, and I'm gonna teach a training camp in Hong Kong. Probably teach like three, four days in Hong Kong. And uh, we're gonna then then we're gonna go to Bali, Indonesia, and I'm gonna teach two days in Indonesia. So you can wow. so we'll fly from Hong Kong to to Bali, and then so you can come and train with me in Hong Kong, and uh, and then we go to Bali for a few days and go train there. Now it's 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 not like a two week training camp that I'll probably teach for three four days in Hong Kong and two days in Bali. So that means we're also gonna spend a lot of time in Hong Kong, you know, doing kung mm-hmm. fu stuff or whatever. But we're that's in the works right now. When I have more information, I'll let the our podcast listeners uh, in on that, and if they're interested in coming, you can come and train uh, with the Kung Fu Genius in in Hong Kong and Bali. Oh, Bali, so nice! It's unbelievable. 
That's awesome, dude. Yeah. That's very cool. Very cool. Awesome, man. Well, hey, it's great to be I, back. This was a lot of fun, yep. man. It is awesome to be back, and thank you for uh, dealing with let me deal with my health issues that I had too. And but uh, it's all good. And we're all back, and I had a great time. Yeah, today. me too, man. And we'll see you guys next week. All right, take care. Be good, guys. Bye, bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!